Hey everyone, Kachi Vesti back with another video for today. So in today's video is going to be the first part of a 3 to 4 part series of my talk with Gali from Hyperchange. In today's video, well, you probably kicked on it because, well, you want to hear more about Hyperchange, why Gali started Hyperchange, his channel and his whole view of the world hyperchanging. We're going to talk about the next industries that are going to go into Hyperchange mode, talk a bit about genomics, a bit of Elon jokes here and there. And in the next video, we're going to talk a bit about Tesla, his honest review on FSD, where Tesla is going into the future, also going to talk a bit about Square, WeWork, robots, etc. So it's going to be pretty exciting. So if you're new to this channel, maybe you would like to consider subscribing to this channel. And if you like these videos, maybe leave an early thumbs up as it really helps you outgrow the channel and get my videos out there. So without further ado, enjoy the interview. So I wanted to ask you a bit uh, first about you personally, and then why did you start Hyperchange? Why Hyperchange? Why the name? By the way, a little shout out to yourself. I ordered your book. I found it on Amazon. So I ordered it. Dude, I, that's awesome. I, 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 well, I started reading a bit at the start and the first couple of paragraphs, you already sold me on, on the idea of writing a book not having an editor read it or, or correct you or whatever, if there are any mistakes on it, like deal with it. That's exactly what I want in a book. So it's, yeah, I think it's, that's it's amazing, post. dude. I'm yeah. actually working on my next book already, which is oh, going to be really Okay, cool. great. So for those that are listening, if you don't know, Gali wrote a book, link will be down in the description below. Um, so basically why, why hyperchange? So we're live, we're doing this, right? We, this well, it's not on YouTube yet, but it's recording. Yeah. Okay. Dope. Oh, let's do it. So why, like, why did you start Hyperchange? How did it start actually? Um, wow. Such a big question. I feel like I've explained this so many different ways. Oh, shit. It's Elon. It's Elon. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll tell him to call me back. I'm doing something right. Like. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. Uh, how did I start Hyperchange? Well, I've always loved investing and I read the Warren Buffett book, um, just loved the stock market, like would get up at 6.30 every day and trade options before high school. That was like, and then actually had like a penny stock newsletter um, that I ran with my friend, got, and that was kind of like our first dabble in the stock market. And we ended up getting like scammed out of a ton of money and, but learned <laughs> in a huge amount and then that got me hooked on like Warren Buffett, actually investing in good companies um, and, you know, just studying businesses and how like the real world around you, there were so many investment ideas. And like the stock market wasn't this thing that existed in isolation, mm -hmm. but it was like sort of a mirror of reflection of reality and sort of the economic, you know, math and laws that govern our society. And then you can look at that through an anthropological lens, be like, how is humanity going to change? What companies are going to change that using what technologies? How can I invest in those companies, be a part of them, impact the direction of that change? Like, that's so exciting to me. Like, you know, activist investor gets such a bad rep, but I love the idea of being an activist investor. Like I bought Tesla stock and I won't shut up about it because I'm supporting the company. Like I, sure. I tell everybody, I made a whole YouTube channel about it. You know what I mean? Like that's how much I want to be like a supporting, not like activist in the way that I'm telling them what to do, but I'm just there to help and support them and be yeah. involved in these amazing companies. And so um always been super passionate about that and then ended up finding Gary V. And you know Gary V? Yeah, yeah. 
he's yeah. so, he's big enough for us to know in New Europe who who he is. Yeah, he's a legend, and like you know, I went through my phase of watching a ton of Gary Vee and then like not watching it. You know, then I don't need. I got the message. I'm out. You can like go through cycles of, of doses of Gary Vee. Um, but he just got me this idea of like, wow, like investing's been my thing since high school. Like I love it. All my friends ask me how they can learn about it. Um, so how can I build a business around this? And then like you think about entrepreneurship, like what can I actually do? You know, people mm -hmm. have these business like, you know, it would be big, like this app for this, like you don't even code, bro. Like do something you can actually do, you know? So then it was like, wait, like I love making little videos. I think I'm good at investing. I think this is the time with new media. CNBC is making people dumber, not smarter. Like for me to basically give my investing diary and open source that and have that be my business model. And with this contrarian thesis that a million subscribers is better than a billion dollars under management, and that is how I think the best investors in the future will build their brands and their careers is on the internet, giving away their best ideas for free, and then using that sort of brand equity to you know navigate their career, mm -hmm. not managing money for super rich people, keeping their best ideas private and secret. I hated that future. And so I was doing that. I was managing money for a private investor. And then that's when I was kind of like, screw it. Like, he, you know, um, it's a longer story than that, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's at the start of the book, no? Yes, that is in the start of the book. If you read the book, you already know this. I'm just repeating, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And like, how did you come up with the name Hyperchange? Is it just because like where the world is hyperchanging right now with all the industry being innovated and disrupted? Yeah, no, it's like, um, so I was in business school and I'm one of those people who like won't accept that I'm wrong. I just will invent a new theory about why everyone else is wrong. So in business school, they're like, you can't buy Tesla. You can't buy Amazon. You can't buy Netflix. These are like the high PE stocks at the time mm -hmm. because their PE ratio is too high. Like a 50 PE ratio doesn't make sense. And I'm like, well, wait, what is a 50 PE ratio? That's a 2% earnings yield. It's going to take 50 years for that company's profit to pay me back. So that's why, and if profit doesn't grow that quickly because we're in this stagnating economy, then it's like, okay, the 50p is ridiculous. But if they're gonna compound their earnings at a rate that we've never seen of hundreds of percent per year, then the years, and I actually have a whole ratio that I call years to pay back. How many years will it take to pay back in profit, the market cap of the company? And so I was like, wait, like the years to pay back on Amazon and Tesla and Netflix, if they just went for cash flow, they could make their market cap in cash faster than Ford could, even though they're at a 50 PE and Ford's at a 10 PE, because Ford's earnings are stagnant, Amazon and Tesla and whatever are going like that. So I call that the era of hyperchange and like the idea that a high PE ratio makes a stock uninvestable. First of all, companies aren't even trying to maximize profit if they're growing, so you shouldn't even be looking at the PE ratio. But I was just like, this is a new era. The internet has connected 8 billion people, or 3 billion, soon to be 8. So this is the era of hyperchange. Products and services can grow faster than ever before, can have intrinsic cash flow and earnings power grow and compound faster than ever before. This is a different economic era, and I think it should be called the era of hyperchange. And that was like my stubborn theory for why everything I learned in business school was wrong and I bought Bitcoin and I bought Tesla. And, you know, and so then I, and I didn't trademark it or anything. Like I started my channel called Hyperchange because that's like my, the thread that ties together all my investments and all my theories is we're in the era of Hyperchange. That's the lens. Um, and, but I don't want to trademark it because I want everybody to use the word. I want like, you know, companies are hyperchanging industries. We're in the era of hyperchange. Like, I think we should start acknowledging that. And if you read all the thought leaders, it's like they're, once you know the word hyperchange, like everybody's trying really hard to find a word that is hyperchange, but they don't say it. They're like, yeah. we're in this era of just rapidly accelerating disruption, the the most technological change we've ever seen. And it's just like, you just say hyperchange. Like, yeah. <laughs> say it. <you> know? <laughs> okay, makes sense. 
And what's what's the ultimate goal of HyperChange, the channel or or you in particular? The ultimate goal is to document my journey as an investor, but do it in a way where it's also like artistic and proud. Like I feel like I, mm -hmm. I'm shooting like a documentary and each episode is a part of that documentary. And so a lot like, and sometimes I go through phases of like not creatively putting my all into videos because I'm just trying to get more videos out. Mm -hmm. But now I'm swinging back that pendulum towards like leaning into creativity with my videos as well. But just the process of like, I want to invest as a side hustle for my whole life or not a side hustle, like my main hustle. It's part of, you know, I want to invest in companies. I want to work with companies just thinking about the future and where we're headed and giving my two cents about why it should be a certain way. Like that's going to be part of my life forever. And so hyper change is just documenting the evolution of my theories sort of. I don't know if that makes sense. There's no yeah, like no, vision totally. or purpose other than, you know, yeah, work with be like cooler companies and, and that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Because it's funny. The first time I actually landed on your channel is I think, I'm pretty sure it's this. It's the, the first video with uh, your visit at Bumblebee. Dude, that think, is so fun. I, th I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the first one, man. Like the first time I, I watched it, I was like, well pretty pretty cool idea i was always like looking at ways to maximize the space in my room and then i land on this video i'm like dude uh, can i have this and then suddenly i'm like okay well this is this is pretty cool pretty cool then you made a second video i was like even more impressed i was like come on like can you come to europe maybe yeah, no, I love Bumblebee. And that's like a really great example of videos that took me like the newest Bumblebee video I put out was 52 minutes. And mm -hmm. like, it's super long and probably boring. It honestly got a good amount of views for what it was not Tesla. But like, I'm so proud of that video, because it's like we got to go to the startup. It's this really cool, like hardware kind of people dabbling in a garage in Silicon Valley, ex Tesla, ex Apple, just thinking with a big, bold vision of the future. And they have like all their engineers come down and show me what they're working on, tour me around the workshop. And then I cut it and I even made my own beat or like a, a beat that I made for that video that fit Bumblebee's mm -hmm. vibe. And like, I don't know. So I'm just really proud of that video and think it's so awesome. And that's like exactly what HyperChange is about, like kind of artistically telling these stories of these really cool startups that maybe whether you're going to buy Bumblebee spaces or not or whatever, it's going to make you think about real estate a different way. And every time you walk into a space, you're going to think about it in a different way. And the possibilities are different because you saw that video and it just opened your mind in a little way. Okay. That yeah, makes sense, which touches my next point is what industry needs to get into the hyper change mode right now like what's the next industry that needs to change well housing is one i think building houses making houses more efficient making the air we breathe in houses uh cleaner making the energy that houses consume cleaner like i think tesla is going to do all of that and that or like companies like bumblebee and tesla have huge opportunity um sorry um, I think the food system, I think like the bulk, I would say like 98% of food we eat is like either the animal lived a really crappy life and therefore probably wasn't that healthy. The emissions of it were too high. If it was a vegetable, it was probably picked a long time ago and just sat on some shelf in the dark. Like it was probably picked earlier than it should have been so that it could ripen on the truck. Like just the entire way the food system works, I feel like is really bad. So I think growing good food in a, with a low carbon impact is a massive opportunity. It's just a really hard problem. But I think that's something I hope hyper changes. Um, healthcare, I think is so archaic, like my health data insurance, like just the way all of that works feels not digitized. 
So I think digitizing healthcare, especially as we understand, I know you mentioned put genomics on the roadmap, like as long as we understand more about the human genome and decode, you know, how our personal gen genetic fingerprint is going to dictate our medical care, like the future of software and data and being a part of healthcare is even going to be more pertinent, pertinent than ever. And so I just think there's a huge opportunity for a new, like your doctor basically, but mm. it's a startup not your neighborhood doctor. Yeah. Um, those are a couple ones. Okay, makes sense. Okay, so you, you, you talked about genomics, so we're just gonna jump into that topic first. So yeah, I believe like in genomics, there's probably two sides of it. One that's ultra pro, all of this CRISPR gene editing, whatever. And then there's the negative side, which is how far will we go with this? Are we going maybe too far with DNA sequencing, with editing, all of that? And also probably most people don't think about maybe editing crops and whatever to maybe live a healthier life, let's say, or giving food to people that maybe have no food or countries that are lacking food supplies as a whole. Yeah. And wait, so you're saying the food industry, like we should be focusing on food, not genetics. Not no, we can focus on, we can focus on both, but I think when most people hear about genomics, they think it's only your humans, not animals or crops or, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that is a huge... The GMO debate is very interesting because on one hand, like using the power of understanding genetics to make like our crops more efficient, like that's been happening for so long. Like that's what breeding and farming was. Like you kind of like figured out piece by piece. And so now we have like a technological way to do that faster, um, which I think is so exciting. And I'm a big believer that like we should, you know, 8 billion people is like kind of pushing it for how many humans the planet can support. So we really have to get innovative about the most efficient ways to use the energy and resources we have to convert into fuel and consumption for humans. And so I just think we need to innovate there. And so it's like Monsanto, I hate them. They're hiring all the best, you know, plant editing scientists, but it's like, what are we working on? Like monocrop farming and just leaching out all of the value from the soil just with one piece, like you know, wave of fertilizer at the time. Like it's just a really, the way we implemented that is super destructive to the environment and not a good system, but it's not because they're GMOs. That it's because they're monocrop farming and they use a bunch of fertilizer. So I don't know if I'm getting too deep here, but I think there's like a really big, this is just, we're scratching the surface on like the problem of the food industry and you can see why it's so big. Yeah, no, for sure. And if we, over, if we get overpopulated, we can also always go right here to this picture. I think you have the same one in your new studio. I do, dude. That is great taste, bro. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, no, it, like it makes sense, and also like the whole thing of genomics, I think, can save so many lives. Whether it's because it advances foods for for maybe continents like Africa or whatever, but also the fact that you can cure diseases that were uncurable before is probably mind blowing for people that are hearing right now, if you know that your child will be born blind and suddenly you change something in your DNA, not blind anymore, it's like, what the heck? This is some kind of sorcery. But like, I don't know, there, there's, I think there's a fine line between doing what's ethical and doing something that isn't ethical anymore. Yeah, it's a really fine line. And like, if you want to get even weirder about it, it's like, okay, well, we all talk about like equal access to healthcare. Now mm -hmm. it's like these drugs are coming out that are millions of dollars that can cure blind blindness. But it's like, okay, well you, so you have to be like super rich to actually get this drug or technology. So I think, and that will just 
keep continuing to happen, hopefully. And then as you scale that technology, hopefully it comes down to more people, kind of like the Tesla model. Mm -hmm. But I think that's something that's really infinite. Like people will spend, there's an infinite amount of money people will spend to buy more time. And yes. that is the fundamental reason that's driving healthcare. So eventually you can see that all excess value creation that humans have will go into expend, extending life expectancy, right? On some level, because I don't know, that's part of the theory, but that's why biotech is never going away, right? Mm -hmm. Like people are always going to want to push the limits. And it feels like we're at this kind of really early part of this big explosion of where we understand what we are, like, like for cancer, for instance, it's like, oh, you have this type of cancer. We're going to give you chemo and do it like this. It's like, no, actually your cancer is a mosaic of different mutations in your genome. So every person's cancer is unique and we need to use big data to understand your cancer and give you like non-invasive treatments that can cure that cancer. So that's just like one microcosm. I think how the whole way we understand our bodies is going to change. Mm -hmm. And then just so much possibilities there like Tim Cook and Apple said they want to be remembered as like their biggest contribution will be the contribution to health. And so I thought that was always a really interesting interview. I don't know if they're going to do that or not, but like this idea that what do you do with this data? What do you do as we become cyborgs? You know, health is wealth. Maybe maximizing your health as a human is the biggest value add that the Neuralink and the smartphone have. Yeah. Uh, the Neuralink, I saw the, the video with the, the monkey playing uh, the, the game. I was like, what the heck is this? I'm like mind blown. Like, and this is right now, like, I don't even know what's going to happen in like five, 10 years from now. This is going to be insane. Dude, I cannot wait. Like I'm already, I'm already like, dude, I could edit videos way faster. I could make beats way faster. I could like read tweets way faster. Like I'm just going to, you know what I mean? It's, I can't wait. It feels like we're going to, it feels like we're like moving through mud on the internet right now or like concrete. Cause just every interaction requires like finger clicking like that's just gonna feel so like it's the hyperloop for the mind if this if the laptop's the bicycle for the mind and so really exciting yeah and no, I've, I've said it a couple of times in a couple of videos like if you think of it the last 10 years besides your phone getting better maybe a better laptop technically there's not really been something super innovative like okay let's besides the tesla but Let's say 10 years from now, I believe like the world is going to be completely different. You'd have maybe even a flying car, cars that are driving themselves. That's for sure in 10 years time, healthcare is going to be probably 10 times better. Diseases will be cured quicker. Neuralink might probably be a thing already. Might have someone on Mars as well. Like there's a huge difference between 2010 and 2020 and the year 2030. 2030 is going to be like, as if we're living in the future in the movies, like it's going to be insane. Yeah, it is. And I, I hope that we use the power of technology to understand that like the trajectory we're on and materialism and consumption is unsustainable. Like humans are just ruining the planet at a crazy rate. So on one hand, I hear what you're saying and it excites me, but I worry that humans like this is just the metaphor for why humanity's done. It's like we're literally just like looking at our phone and the world's on fire, but we're pumped because like what we're looking at our phone is yes. getting better every year. And so we're getting distracted and like not thinking. So I, I think we're in this really interesting moment of like, what do you do with all that technological power? Like, are we just going to let the world burn and then be in our little box on our Neuralink in a metaverse? And that's what we want the future to be? Or are we going to like pivot to actually kind of have this symbiosis with nature? Um, that's one thing that I think of a lot because... Yeah. 
especially if we create robots and AI gets too smart, the AI might notice that we are the problem and then we're probably screwed. Yeah, dude. And the AI is already manipulating us in so many ways, like the Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, like those AIs are controlling our attention. And sure. I think attention is the biggest asset on the planet. And so that to me is really, really scary that like we're kind of already letting that happen and we don't even know what's happening. I think like, uh, you know, social media is the new smoking or whatever. Like, I think that'll be looked at in 20 years. Like, dude, they just let you do Instagram and like have your mind like get sucked into like all these really dumb videos that were just like, you know. Yeah, I've, I've seen the comparison on, on Twitter of Facebook and the likes being like the new tobacco. Yeah. Exactly. It is. It's like the dopamine hit that you get when you do likes or a post. And I mean, I definitely feel that as a creator, you probably do too. Like your video is doing great. Like you're definitely getting dopamine hits. Like mm -hmm. I'm getting subscribers. Like my tweets, Elon replies to my tweet. Like, bro, people are engineering their lives to come up with the dopest reply to an Elon tweet so that they have a chance that he interacts with them, which is sounds really lame and weird, but it's also like, if this is the smartest dude in the planet changing the world, like making history IRL in real time, like, yeah, maybe you, and he could interact with you and like, you could impact the course of his ideas, like, and potentially the future of humanity by telling him your idea that maybe he likes, like, dude, you should be up all night on Twitter all day trying to interact with him. Like, it kind of makes sense, yeah, you know? For sure. And so... Now it's 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 funny because like he replied to one my one of my tweets with just a simple word, just yes. It's man, I was like I read it because I I go on Twitter and I'm like see I have so many new followers, so many tweets, retweet likes, whatever, and I'm like what's what's going on here? Then I go on the tweet and I'm like first comment Elon Musk just replied yes. I was like what the heck guy made my day made my year so far as well like i was like the dude was at the time richest man on the planet smartest guy on the planet probably guy is changing the world we're going to space thanks to him rockets are flying and coming back i'm like and this guy replied to me i'm like what right he's like in that meeting watching the spacex rocket blow it's like hold on yes <laughs> to the <couch> yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> like that that did happen you know like that's yeah, I always imagine myself, what is Elon doing when he's writing the tweets? Like, is he like suddenly, I don't know, engineering the model too, let's say, and then he's like, mm, let me tweet about Do Dogecoin. I'm like, oh. like, does he need this break of memes in, during the day? Like, it's like instantly super weird. I don't know. I think it's just whenever he's like chilling and waiting around, he just gets on his phone and tweets something. Might be, yeah. It's fine. Like know. when it, certainly when he tweets about memes and Dogecoin, I was like, I wonder, wonder what's happening in his head right now. <laughs> yeah.